Hello, friends, and welcome back to your grocery clerk's favorite podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I'm Jason Sieber, the associate conductor of the Kansas City Symphony. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the education manager. And I'm Mike Orton, principal flute of the Kansas City Symphony. Besides being uh, renowned for having one of the best orchestras in the nation, Kansas City is one of the most iconic jazz cities in the world. And sure, New Orleans, New York, Chicago, and a few other places can claim that same description too. But KC is really where jazz grew up in the 1920s and 30s, with legends like Benny Moten, Cat, Count Basie, Claude the Fiddler, Williams, and of course, Bird himself, Charlie Parker, all spending a considerable and meaningful part of their careers here in KC. The traditions and history of jazz here are rich and deeply embedded in our city's culture. And you know, that tradition and legacy is still alive and well today with an incredible live jazz scene uh, throughout the city. We celebrated Kansas City's connection to the jazz world with a weekend of concerts at the symphony two years ago with many of the leading jazz musicians from KC from the past 20 and 30 years collaborating with the orchestra, conducted by our very own Jason Sieber and headlined by our friend and saxophonist extraordinaire Bobby Watson. And while all of these musicians have lived and performed in other cities throughout the world, many of them still consider Kansas City home. That's right, Stephanie. And one of those artists who performed on that uh, Pops Jazz program has become a really great friend of mine. Uh, he is originally from Kansas City and now living in Paris. My wife Stephanie and I had a chance to go over to Paris last summer on vacation, and he took us all around town, showed us all his favorite spots, and we really had a great time uh, with him. And he has a new album out. So we are so excited to talk to him today about that new album and his time here in KC and in Paris. And we're just really delighted to have him. Jazz trumpet extraordinaire, Mr. Herman Mahari. Welcome to the show, Herman. Thank you. That's Yay. A, it's, I'm happy to be here. I have a question before we jump in. I want to know, you have to be honest, Herman. Sure. When Jason was over there visiting, on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being really, really atrocious, and 10 being really awesome. How was Jason's French? <laughs> say it in French. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't, say, don't say it too, say a deux. Yeah, yeah, no, we want everyone to understand my response here. So, um, um, you know, I've had my share of, of friends visit, and I would say Jason's French was more on the higher end of, of that. Ooh. So, and that's so like just, a three? Uh, i'll give you i'll give you um i'll give you a solid five wow (laughs) now the pressure's on yeah because there's a few things i want to talk about in paris later and my french better be at least a five (laughs) wow okay pressure's on yeah 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 oh man well, Herman, that was such a fun uh, trip, and thanks again for being such a gracious host when Stephanie and I came to town. But long before you were in Paris, of course, you grew up right here in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what that was like as a jazz musician growing up in a city that, that, that we, as we mentioned, has such a rich history and tradition of jazz. What was that musical upbringing like? Well, um, I would say it's... Part of you know part of this music that's interesting about jazz is that it's really a, uh, it's 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 a music of culture. It's a music uh, so it, it's a music where it's important that you you're in a community surrounded by other people playing this music and and you kind of learn from each other in a very organic way um, and you learn the tradition in this way and you and Kansas City is really strong in the tradition. Um, that's something I well I guess found out through through rote, but. I also found out just through having traveled and played around the United States, like some of the other cities um, that we have don't really have the tradition kind of like Kansas City. I mean, the big ones do, the New York, the Chicago, New Orleans. But, you know, once you start getting to other places, it's, you really see how special Kansas City is. And so I, it's my upbringing in KC in this way is, um, and with Bobby Watson, of course, too, um, I, I just, you know, it's in, irreplaceable. Mm. And you mentioned, you know, learning by listening and learning by being in a community of other jazz musicians. It's interesting because in the classical world, when we start on our instruments, we start right away by reading music. And of course, you know how to read music right away too, but you, most of what you're learning style-wise and everything is by listening. And I guess we do that a little bit by being in one-on-one lessons with teachers in the classical world early on and kind of trying to 
imitate their sounds, but to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, jazz is so much more about really listening and um, emulating uh, the, the the greats around you. Because of, of what you're doing live is also when you're improvising and everything, you're not reading music. You know, you know the chord changes, etc. You know how the the main melody, the head goes, or whatever. But talk a little bit about how how different that is. You know, as a jazz musician compared to classical. Um, yeah, it's you know the 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 thing really that I think that the the thing that really separates jazz music from any other music is is really the the improvisational aspect, and that's the aspect that forces a musician to be able to create music in the moment. And so to do that, you have to have, I mean, you have to have a certain type of ear. You have to have a certain type of, uh, uh, not just ears for for listening to other musicians and reacting in the moment and all stuff, but he- ears in terms of hearing clearly what's in your mind um, and what you're trying to portray as well. Um, I think that's often f- forgotten as well when we talk about just hearing um, I mean that, but that also is is true in the classical sense. You have to you have to hear you, you know your sound in a clear way, and you have to hear what you're playing clearly as well. But you know the added the trick in the jazz realm is that you're 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 creating, and you have to hear clearly hear what you're what you're creating rhythmically, melodically, and um, I think that's that's the challenge um, for jazz. I think too, though, like along with, you know, being able to hear and obviously like a lot of that is just kind of um, some of that is natural talent, you know, just like being able to do that. But you can also develop that. But I think that also a confidence has to play like a big role in jazz musicianship just because the thought of like playing something that's not written on the page to me is terrifying. Um, And so being having that like a certain personality trait of like being able to be confident in what you're doing I think plays a really huge role in jazz musicianship especially absolutely um you know you're kind of just wearing your heart on your sleeve you know you're 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 almost you're just naked almost because it's like it's uh that's what's also special about it is that you're you're just kind of representing yourself your your identity and you're just putting it out there and and you know the difference between improvisation and composition is you know composition you can go back and edit and change but improvisation you don't have that ability you, you know it has to it's just what it is in the moment and you can't take it back yeah so one of the things that uh, I get asked a lot by people is you know oh do you play any jazz too and I'm like mm, I mean mm, <laughs> yeah if it's yeah. written down I can pretend <laughs> like I play jazz. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, as you're well aware, there's such different disciplines. And I've met, you know, I've met a few people who who do, you know, some classical, some jazz, some other stuff, and are more versatile that way. But, of course, most of us, you know, kind of go in one direction or, or the other at a fairly young age. So, mm-hmm. for you, was it always clear that jazz was the direction for you? Or did you, you know, start trumpet in band class and not know where you were going to gravitate? And that's just kind of what you were drawn to. Um, I first started playing the trumpet in band class and it was about a year into it that I didn't, I, what happened, well, the story is that I, uh, I, I signed up for, um, an improvisation, uh, summer course and I, I went to a a local music shop to buy a a thing called a CD. Um, I don't know. (laughs) Um, and I, you know, I, I, I went to the jazz section and I and I looked and I heard of heard of a guy named Miles Davis. I heard of him before. So I said, okay, I'll get something by Miles Davis. I, I just looked at the selection and I and, and I picked one pretty much at random. Uh, and it was kind of blue. So anyone who knows anything about jazz, that's that's like the most important jazz album of all time. <laughs> and I I put it in my CD player. That's another thing that maybe is a bit archaic. Um, <laughs> actually, I don't have a CD player anymore. Um, <laughs> Do I? And uh, I do. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> when I had a car in Kansas City, I had a CD player. <laughs> um, uh, and I listened to it and fell in love with it and listened to it over and over and over again. And that's when I fell in love with this idea of being able to improvise and create music in the moment. So that's kind of how that came about. What, what I think is so fascinating, too, that you know, is important for you know, our, our listeners to understand, I think, is, is just how impressive and amazing 
this discipline is because, you know, for me to even write down some notes when I have all the time in the world, I don't really do it. But if I have to like to write a cadenza for a concerto or whatever, it is a truly grinding, excruciating process for me to figure out, you know, what notes to choose. There are mm-hmm. only 12 of them. It shouldn't be that hard. <laughs> and yet, yet it is. And then, you know, jazz musicians get up and, and do it in front of people all the time on the fly. They're probably solos. You never play the same way twice. Uh, and, and that skill uh, is just incredible. And that, that tool of expressivity, you know, I can express things, but I always have to do it through someone else's lens because I'm not choosing the notes. Uh, and the fact that, that jazz musicians like yourself can do that is so, uh, I'm envious of it in so many ways. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and it's funny because, you know, that's one of the things you have to learn first is just not being, um, afraid to fall on your face. Um, and, and I, I don't know. I, I was one of those, I recognized it early on that I wasn't afraid and I just would do it. And so, when, and, and in teaching others, I would, that's what I would say. I would just say, do it. Just take every opportunity you can to take a solo. Don't be, when the, you're in jazz band class or whatever, and they say, hey, do you want to take a solo? Don't be shy. And like, <laughs> and no, that's your opportunity because that's what you got to do. Um, I'd also say that as a young age, I had an opportunity, lots of opportunities to play because uh, I, was, I was starting to gig quite a bit early on. Um, with with one of my best friends' family bands and with other groups and you know as in my formative years it was you know what I what I like to call uh, performance practice you know you get you you get you 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 gain the skills of performance through performing right um, and which is a really a, its own thing right it's something you can't really practice in a practice room you can't create that recreate that um, dynamic and. The mentality and the feeling of the audience being there—you can't really recreate that in a in a in a, um, in a practice room. So I, you talked a little bit earlier about um, the jazz jazz being like a community and like a, uh, being here in Kansas City, but like there's a community of jazz musicians. And when I knew we were going to be talking with you, I I started really thinking about this, and I I think that's interesting because I kind of view an orchestra more as a family, um, because I mean you you're all sitting there. It's the same people, you know, you might have a few different people in and out, um, you know, for every concert or something, but it's really, it's the same core group of people. You, you are really truly a family. And in the jazz world, I mean, this idea of community and collaborating with so many different people is very different than what we do in the orchestral world. Um, especially because they're smaller groups, you know, kind of more one-on-one, but what is that like being able to work with so many different personalities and different kinds of artists and people um, in a way that we, we just don't get to do that often. Um, It's, it's, you know, it's interesting because that's the thing about jazz is that I can go anywhere in the world and go to like a jam session and, or, or even I've even hired, depending on the situation, of course, what music we're playing, but if I've hired people who, we hadn't even rehearsed and we would, we would do a performance and we could just play together. I go to jam session and, 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 and J- Japan or Tokyo, you know, and, and, uh, they understand the music and they, 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 they we have a common, um, uh, we know, you know, songs in common and we can just play together without ever, mm-hmm. ever having played together before. And, and it sounds good. So there's this kind of like loose family around the world that we can tie into and it creates an interesting social scene. Uh, it also makes it really easy to to go to a place and that you've never been and and just meet people super easily that way. Um yeah, but then you do develop some like like there's some guys that I've been working with for a long time that are like family to me. That are yeah, yeah I, they are family to me. So um, obviously, you spent a lot of your uh, life here in KC, but now you're in Paris. You've been over there how long now in Paris? Now it's it's a bit over three years. Three years. Yeah. And Paris, of course, as we all know, is one of the meccas in the world for all things fine arts. I mean, visual art, music, some of the greatest composers have come from Paris. Some of the greatest composers moved and spent time in uh, Paris composing. I th- and you think about Stravinsky. Uh, for example, and the ballets that he created there. And jazz is interesting because jazz is, is very much an American form, 
But you and I had a conversation about this. I remember as we were walking from a, a amazing bakery to a cafe to get some coffee. Um, tell us a little bit about how jazz took roots in Paris and what the scene is like there today as, as an artist uh, performing there all the time. Yeah. Interestingly enough, Paris became kind of the home of, of American jazz in Europe. And on one end, you have the things that kind of developed here naturally, like, like what Django Reinhardt did, Stefan Grappelli, um, more that, you know, gypsy jazz, they call it jazz manouche here. Um, mm. But then you had some of the biggest stars of jazz who lived here. I mean, you, you know, you have like Bud Powell and uh, Kenny Clark and uh, um, Dexter Gordon, and, and then even Miles Davis lived here for a little a brief brief stint. Um, and it's that had a huge effect on the scene. Um, that became this love. They loved the, the music here. They loved. They still do, honestly. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting, but, you know, there's a difference between the, the brand of jazz that has developed here and the brand of jazz that there is or, or, or in the States. Um, I, and I liken it to um, when you talk about all other kinds of music, like uh, with like a samba music, for instance, Brazilian music, um, you know, we play it in the States, but it's not the same when you go down to, <laughs> you go down to Brazil or, uh, and hear them play it. And to them also, the difference is, more palpable as well, of course. Um, yeah. So it's the same, you know, uh, And th but not to say there aren't great players here. It's just a different thing. There's just, you know, it's done differently. Hmm. So besides the, the, you know, the scene there and the popularity of, of jazz, what, what circumstances led you uh, to make your way from the Paris of the Plains to the actual <laughs> Paris? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, good question. I, my first time in Paris was 2010. I came here with my band Diverse. Um, we spent a month here, played some gigs, and just enjoyed the city um, and, and networked. And, and what that led to other opportunities. So I was basically coming here once or twice a year until I moved here. Um, and at first, I didn't have the intention to move here. But I, you know, I even came here to write. I'd come and like come for a month at a time and just like write music. Um, I really loved it, and it always was central to my European travels and tours. And I developed a, a, a pretty good network of, of, of beautiful friends here. Um, and, I, you know, I, I came to a point in Kansas City where I felt um, I've kind of done what I could do. And um, I wanted to, both on a personal level and career level, change things up. And Paris made the most sense. And it, it makes the most sense even here just for traveling throughout Europe, touring throughout Europe, it's it's a pretty central place. It's the most central place you could probably be. It doesn't hurt that Herman's an avid foodie too. And <laughs> Paris is not short of great places to eat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could definitely go down the list of 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 uh, of, of reasons to be here. <laughs> and yeah. the food is, is uh, I mean, I love the food in Kansas City actually too. But, but yeah, like yeah. The, the food in Paris is pretty, as you know, I mean, you... <laughs> I know yeah. where you ate, so <laughs> <laughs> you went to some good good spots for sure. Yeah. Um, Can you get any good pulled pork in Paris, though? There's things missing for sure. Mm. I, <laughs> I, that, Only I, in the Paris of the Plains. Yeah, <laughs> there are the certainly the things that are missing, and I miss them. And yeah. you no know, tacos, pulled pork, barbecue. Mm, that's, yeah. Yeah. So, so if you would, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about for a minute about something you you kind of touched on as we were asking you about moving to Paris. Um, you know, you said you were writing, and for people you know even remotely familiar with jazz, you know, we all understand that there's this you know collection of standards as you would call it, uh, mm -hmm. uh, which you know in the classical realm is sort of like you know what we consider our standard repertoire, our bread and butter, our Beethoven symphonies, our Brahms symphonies, our Mozart, and that kind of thing. Um, but I think the thing that's so amazing about jazz uh, that you touched on is, you know, anyone in the world who plays jazz understands, you know, I don't even know how many dozens, hundreds probably of these standard songs. So you can go sit down with somebody and play them. But you also write, and other people do too, and you're creating new things uh, out of that tradition. Uh, so how how is that process for you? Like, how do you uh, how do you create something new in in this environment where everyone is so steeped in this, um, 
in this you know standard repertoire because I think it's a hard thing for classical musicians and classical composers too. I mean, every every composer of the twentieth and certainly the twenty first century is in a sense trying to reinvent the wheel with every piece because they're trying to find a new language and a new direction and a new voice uh, in the context of you know hundreds of years that came before it. So how how does that work in jazz? Um, in the jazz world, it's it's interesting because yeah, you were right. The the, the stand playing standards, recording standards, performing standards, all that is uh, is kind of like the baseline. It's kind of like that's the that's like the expectation. You should be able to do that and do that really well as a jazz musician. Um, but you know, there's a fine line um, in terms of like a a career is uh, is concerned. Nowadays, no one will make a career just playing standards. In terms of like a name and having an identity and all that, that's kind of been played out because it. I mean, you do you still have that's incorporated a little bit, but it can't be all you do. Um, guys like Coltrane, all of them, they did it. You know, it, that's kind of been done, and um, you're expected to actually right now and have new music. Um, and the and the trick is like now the the world of modern jazz is such a fragmented uh, thing. It's it's almost like you can pick two two modern jazz artists and they'll sound. It's like they're not even playing. I mean, it's like I think it's like contemporary classical music, right? You you it, they'll they, they sound nothing alike. You know, there's no. Uh, uh, it's not like in you know you have in a romantic period you know have two composers from that period. The music there's some similarities to their music. Um, the thing is just so spread now. Um, but it you know it allows for individuality expression and um, it also I think makes it harder for people find an audience. Um, uh, people I think people like things to be. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So speaking of writing and creating uh, your own music, you just came out with your second album, uh, "Change for the Dreamlike." I bought it last week. It's incredible. I've been listening to it nonstop. Thank it's you. so good. Thank you. And. Uh, I have to say, I loved your first album, Blue. I thought Blue was really great, too. Um, and we should mention, if you have not heard Blue, you really need to hear it. Mm -hmm. It uh, debuted as number one on the iTunes jazz charts. That's how good it is. Uh, but talk to us about this new album, because this is kind of a uh, something that became sort of a project for you during this stay-at-home time. Tell yes. us about how this album came about, and, and tell us all about it. Sure. So, in France... Everything kind of like in terms of the confinement and and then you know, COVID, kind of came quickly. When Italy fell pretty hard, there was lots of talk that France was going to come next, and and it just came really quick. And I remember playing my I played uh, my what happened to be my last gig at La Fontaine de Belleville, which you've been to, and they now right after the gig. You know, like it's, it was like seven thirty eight. They they announced that all bars, restaurants were closing by midnight, and that they will be closed indefinitely. Wow. Um, yeah, it was kind of quick, right? And then wow. Monday, they said the president would have a. This is Saturday. They said Monday the president would have a, uh, a speech, kind of talking about what's going to happen in the, in the country. And Monday night, sure enough, we learned that the next day they're going to lock down the country, uh, and that you're you know everyone had to stay at home. Um, and, and that you needed passes that you would print out, um, every time you needed to leave your place. And it had to be for like, you're going to the vet, uh, you're going to the pharmacy, you're going to the doctor, you're, you know, you're going to the grocery store, super restrictive, huge fines if you got, if you got caught. So I talked to some friends like scrambled and, and one of my friends had a connection to a country home out in the southwest of france and and we we bolted <laughs> mm. and i thought you know i'll take my recording equipment with me because um i you know maybe i'll make some music or maybe someone will hire me to to play some stuff and and so i took all my stuff with me and um i got down there and beautiful area it's called uh, la cores and it's near the uh, a river called la dordogne and it's a beautiful river valley. Um, um, I was, I was there. There was a barn next to the house that had. It was basically an artist studio, um, and even had a piano. 
I mean, I can't, I couldn't have like nice. made it, you know, I couldn't have made a situation. It's like a movie. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and uh, we could move around freely around the country, didn't have to worry about the restrictions, the fines. We didn't have to worry about, you know, like wearing masks, being near people who might, um, you know, you know, infecting, all that kind of No, no worries like that. Um, yeah. And so a couple of days into it, I said, okay, I don't have any, I'm not going to be playing anything for a long time. I can't imagine when my next gig is. I have no idea when it will be. And I said, well, I, and I have like, I had actually already had projects recorded and, and ready. Like I have some stuff in the, uh, in the vault <laughs> uh, yeah. that I was trying to figure out and get, get out there. But then I said, I, I don't know. I'm hearing some stuff. I'm hearing new music. I need to create something for the moment. I need to put all my energy into something. Now my musical and creative energy needs to go somewhere. Um, um, and so that's how the process got started. I started writing um, um, and formulating the album. And it was like interesting because, you know, every song that was coming up with was a bit different, but there was a theme. And at the same time, it was becoming a really personal thing because I was making it on my own. Um, and I was also at the same time visualizing the album as a whole. You know, like I said, okay, I have kind of this thing, but I maybe needed another song that's kind of like this to... So I kind of thought of it as a whole. And um, yeah, that's the general, just to get started in the conversation about it, that's kind of the general way it got going. Can you also just, because where we are, I mean, all of this happened in a certain timeline, but when did all of that start for you? Like what what month did uh, the the closing down of things happen? This was in March. Okay, Um, so it was similar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. So tell us about tell us about the title and and that theme that is running through each of of the seven tunes that are on the album. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's entitled "A Change for the Dreamlike," mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that's the it kind of plays like what I call like a modern like a mixtape because in a sense the 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 seven songs are pretty eclectic. They're pretty different, but they but the there there's this dreamlike theme that runs through them and when i say dream you know i don't just mean like you know go to bed good night dream that that's also there but also dreams as goals and 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 memories and the past and um and wishes and wants um yeah the blurring of reality all that um Hmm. it's all in there and um that's the that's the common thread throughout the album and it, and it's almost like uh the personal aspect it's almost like it's you know like they're journalistic entries almost um hmm. yeah. so so talk a little bit more about how you actually made this because you know what you said um making music that's a more of a reaction to this moment than than something you maybe wrote even you know a few months before you know the events of the spring happened it's it's become something that's that's been really important to me as well. And, you know, I've been trying to create things. I felt inspired to create things um, in a way that I I probably can't compare it to any other point in my career because it's just such a dramatic event in the world right now, a lot of events in the world right now. Uh, And I think, I think a lot of artists are responding that responding to that. So talk a little bit about, about why that was so important to you and also how you, how you overcame the, the technological barriers of, you know, being separated from other musicians to create this incredible album. Yeah. Well, in a maybe more or rather a less abstract sense, I heard, you know, I, I wrote what I heard, what I was being, what I was, what I was, what I was hearing musically in my head, but also like it was very much influenced by, you know, the situation forced me to, to, to think in a certain way. It forced me to reflect. It forced me to think about, well, I was in the moment, in the moment, in the present moment, but also kind of dig into those little holes that I haven't really thought about in a while. Um, you know, I was walking through the country and, and I had a lot of freedom and I didn't have to worry about the future. And I'm starting to think like, for instance, thinking a lot about my heritage, my past, um, missing my family quite a bit. You know, I am in, I'm in France and my family's far away. They're back in the States. And my, but my heritage is also Eritrean. Um, and so I was, you know, that was heavy on my mind. My, you know, my dad passed a few years ago, four or five. Now it's like, like almost five years ago. And that's, you know, also heavy on my mind. And then, you know, you start seeing things like what's happening with the police murders and all this stuff. And 
that's heavy on my mind, you know? And so the first song, which is Shenandoah, which is not, you know, which is not my song, is a song I've loved forever. I've always wanted to do something with it. And I was hearing it so clearly just going on these beautiful country walks. But it reminds me also of myself as a Missourian, you know, it's uh, kind of got this quality, this Americana quality to it. Um, I literally recorded the, the, the noise outside of the barn, like the sound of the valley. Um, so what people are hearing is the birds and the river. And, and, and my thought was just that I was thinking of all these people confined um, and how beautiful it would be for them to hear something like that, you know? That's literally what I was thinking. <laughs> Even like my friends in Paris, imagining in tiny apartments stuck uh, for two months in, order to go in Italy and, you know, especially in Europe, you know, a lot of people are in apartments and they can't, they can't go out. Or, or if you're, if you're someone elderly and it's just dangerous for you to leave your house, even if you have a house, it's just dangerous and you're stuck in your house. It's crazy. So Shenandoah was kind of a no brainer in a sense. Um, in terms of my, my uh, technological limitations, you know, I, I've always been doing recording and stuff and I have the equipment to do it. Um, and I, and I do production as well in terms of like music production. Um, so it wasn't really a stretch for me to do it. What was a stretch was coming to a head where I was like, okay, I real I wanted to kind of do it by, all by myself at one point, but then I said, I don't know. I, the album needs the life of, of other spirits in it to contribute and make things, mm. give things a little bit more, uh, energy and you know every song had someone i heard clearly like i said and I, I need this person's and f fortunately even thanks to kind of like the situation itself some people were upgrading their home studio situations uh hmm. everybody that i heard ended up having you know the, the the proper equipment to 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 record you know i i i had some skills in in mixing as well and um i just practice those skills too I, I took it as a as a thing to kind of like shed and practice yeah I, that's how i kind of did from a technological standpoint it's kind of how i did it all on my own one of my uh one of my favorite tracks on the album is a conversation with my uncle you mentioned um your eritrean heritage and i assume that this was a recorded conversation that you had with your uncle about your family's history and about um some of the difficulties in uh in that country and you overlaid um, with your trumpet, imitating the not only the pitch levels of his voice as he was speaking, but the rhythm of the voice as well. And I thought that that was a genius thing. I've never heard anything like that before. And, uh, you know, we're talking about creating new sounds and, you know, the you have to be able to write and have your own individual voice as a jazz artist. And I thought that that was a really uh, innovative and unique uh, accomplishment that you had. Uh, it was the war for independence. Your dad, at that time, he would have been and in Asmara, it, get, it starts to be worse. But tell us a little bit about that. How did you get that idea? And tell us about that conversation. Absolutely. I that song is special to me and that song that's one that's resonated with a lot of people i've heard a lot back from people saying wow they, they just they were moved and well that's first of all like that song is basically about my father i mean it is about my father right, right. and his refugee story which is the refugee story mm -hmm. um he, he you know he fled eritrea during the war with Ethiopia, there in there is the war for independence with Ethiopia. He fled in the late seventies, uh, and you know, eventually made his way to the states. But that's why I was born in the states. I never got a chance to have. I always wanted my dad to tell me the story to, to, in the terms and record it. You know, he told me the story, but I went in to record it, mm. and I never got that chance. You know, and I really regretted that when he uh, when he passed away. And and I said, well, I want to get my uncle to do it because my uncle. He's a great storyteller. And, um, and so I interviewed him for an hour, had him record it. I didn't tell him what I was going to do with it. Um, and, and then I received you know, the file, cleaned it up a bit, cut up the part just about my dad. 
And I, I already knew, I mean, I, I knew that like, that was the way I wanted to interact with it was, was musically with the, with the trumpet. Um, that's the conversation. And I, you know, I paired it with this musical motif that I created, um, kind of a melancholic thing. But yeah, I, I wanted to get my dad's story out there, basically. And um, my, as you can imagine, my uncle was pretty ecstatic. Um, uh-huh. when he, it was like a surprise, you know, he was like, what, yeah. What's, what? And uh, everybody in the family wow. just, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and then and it segues into um, a song called Eritrea, just named after the country. Right. And I named it that because some people don't even know what Eritrea is. So I said, okay, well, okay. I should name it. But it's a, it's a country in East Africa. <laughs> yeah. um, and it, and the song is, is is very much in the style of the music. And, and, you know, composing that was a whole different, as you can imagine, a whole different method, different process. Um, I actually had never written any kind of Eritrean music before, although I had grown up listening to it, going to Eritrean dance parties, and this it, it's always been around me. Um, and I've always wanted to dig into it, you know, grass uh, uh, the the confinements I had the time and you know to <laughs> to really like I was transcribing it. I was I was I was learning digging deep into the history of it and and, and learning all the the you know like. The roles of all the instruments and the form and and just really just getting it together um and then i just started writing music in this style and this you know this is what this is the best thing that came out of what i had written and and i wanted that segue to work because it's such a joyous you have this melancholic melancholic um story this kind of sad story and then this kind of joyous release and, and, mm. and celebration well wow. Well, the arts and in particular music can always tell stories, I think. Um, and they've always played a vital role in social issues of oppression, equality, justice, many of the issues that we're facing and talking about every day here in America now and throughout the world. And I know that all three of us, and I'm sure you have as well, Herman, have put a lot of thought into how we as artists can be a powerful voice right now, um, not only through our music that we're performing, but as leaders in our community. And I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking about this, and I really want to make a positive impact myself as an artist. Um, what thoughts do you have uh, uh, as an artist right now, living in this world, of how we can be a powerful voice of change? Um, I think it's you know using our 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 platforms in a really smart way to to bring things to light you know one of the the really unfortunate things about what you know it's splitting up our country is just the way that the the way the dialogue happens the dialogue happens uh, on social media mostly now or thanksgiving dinner and it's never <laughs> it's never done in a in a smart way you know i um there's a lot of choir preaching happening um a lot of uh, this, this, like, okay, for example, just to, the example of my the conversation, a conversation with my uncle, that, that, that piece, ideally, you should, you could be able to show it to someone who, uh, you know, thinks refugees and immigrants are, 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 are terrible and stealing jobs and lazy. And, and, you know, ideally, you could show them the, that piece and, and show them that that's not the case, that they're beautiful people and that they, they've gone through an experience that they can't, that they'll never, even imagine you know that's what i think you know like is the best is, is just like trying to smartly reach people and, and let them showing them um not like yelling at them not like uh braiding their 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 stupidity so to speak right or i think it, that's the conversation the dialogue needs to be needs to be smarter it needs to be it needs to be also it needs to reach their emotion it needs to reach their 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 heart yeah well said well said. All right. So the last time I was in Paris with you and my beautiful wife, well, you were there. My beautiful wife and I came to Paris. Uh, we went to your cafe where you always play gigs. And I know you haven't been able to play there uh, very much lately, but how uh, have you even been back in the, to see? Because you have friends there too. This is, all right, here goes my terrible French. Here we go. La Fontaine de Belleville. Wow. Bravo. Well, that's pretty bad. C- 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 that's super a solid bad. five. No. That's a solid mm, five. No solid. more, though. Uh, no, 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 no. How are things there? And uh, are you, what, do you have any idea when you're going to be able to get back and play gigs again? They, La Fontaine de Belleville is not even open yet. Um, yeah. They might not open again until September. Yeah. 
Um, and for my gigging situation, it's kind of not, ex- it's non-existent. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think September things will come back. I'm already getting offers for September kind of everywhere in Europe, which is good. Um, the borders here are opening up next week. Um, wow. it's a, it's a weird, you know, like the thing about it is like, it's a weird thing because it doesn't matter where I am right now in a sense. Like I don't, I don't have any ties here in Paris, uh, that, you know, just have some friends, but I'm, uh, I'm, 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 uh, just we celebrate and, uh, and it doesn't matter. So I might even like try to go out and, uh, and find another place to hide out for a while and, and mm. just practice and, I don't know. Maybe, maybe write a third album. Uh, yeah, maybe a third, <laughs> third, a third album. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, it's it, it's it's kind of a weird thing to to be like, well, what do I do? Uh, um, but I do love, you know, I'm so I love playing. I love practicing. Uh, you know, have the trumpet with me. Uh, I I love <laughs> it. I it's just it that has never gone away, and that was one of the beautiful things that I got to do to a high degree. Um, during this period is really just shed just practice 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 uh, it's uh, it gives me so much pleasure nice true jazz word there's shed I yes love it. yes <laughs> if you do end up going somewhere else and hiding out for a little while i i wouldn't get your hopes up to find another like riverside barn with a piano in it that might be <laughs> i don't know if you'll find so, that unicorn twice <laughs> i won't think i'll find that unicorn but i if i'm going to be like like I have my sights set on on Italy, so yeah. Um, I um, I'm learning Italian, so th- it would be a two in one thing. You know, I could work on my Italian, and and I could practice. <laughs> and oh, I guess yeah. three. I'd be in Italy as well. So I, it's not too bad. <laughs> I hear the food's not bad in Italy either. <laughs> oh, mamma mia! As a matter of fact, the other uh, day when I contacted you to to line up this uh, podcast interview, you were working on the stock for a risotto alla milanese. Yes. Did you have that risotto yet? I did. I was. Uh, nice. it, it turned out really good, and and I'm I'm making another stock tonight for another type of risotto. <laughs> oh, nice! Very nice. Huh. Well, we always have uh, two questions that we leave all of our guests with um, at the end of our interviews. Uh, the first is, what is your favorite drink, your cocktail or drink of choice, if you had to narrow it down to one? I know you and I have talked about bourbon a lot, so I know you're a bourbon lover. Shocking. I'm interested to hear this. <laughs> um, and then secondly, if you could sit down with Beethoven, or let's say uh, let's say Beethoven or maybe Miles Davis as well, since I know that was the first jazz album you listened to, and I'm sure he's a hero of yours, what would you ask either Beethoven or Miles, if you were sitting down with your favorite drink with them in a bar? All right. I'll start with a drink, uh, clearly. Um, actually, <laughs> people who know me, like, my favorite drink is actually espresso. Um, ah. I'm a I'm a f- espresso fiend. I'm, a, I'm obsessed <laughs> with coffee. I'm a, I, I travel for coffee. I, I, will, I will, like, end up in a city on tour and look up, like, all the best coffee shops and then, like, run across the city before sound check to go to this co- you know go to a cafe and get <laughs> get espresso you know and drink it and then go run the sound check um it's my <laughs> i love it i'm kind of obsessed with it um but if i was gonna go all, uh from the alcoholic standpoint since uh living in paris i've really gotten what's called natural wine um yeah. and that's that's wine that's made without um a lot of without additives without chemicals without a- extra sulfites um and if it's really natural it's like the pro- the soil as well as organic and uh the whole process is really organic and, and it, it's it's a thing that's really huge here in paris it's kind of the old way of making wine uh it's exciting it's it's what we go we go out and we have it we, we just go to wine bars and just drink it um casually it's it's a beautiful thing it's it's yeah you were the first one to introduce me to yeah. that uh when we yeah. were over there and yeah. we had some uh both at our hotel bar and at a wine cave <laughs> thanks to you and we've bought several bottles back here in the states although it's a lot harder to find in the, in the states than it is in paris right now but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> You know what I love about this is our producer Tim just like totally just, perked up when we were talking I was about just wine. About to say exactly He's a big the wine same drinker. thing. <laughs> He's our very focused. Tim. Full attention right now. He's like, tell me, tell me. 
All right. So what would you ask Beethoven or Miles okay. or both? Let's both. say you're at a table with both of them, maybe. Who knows? Well, kind of similar questions, but with Beethoven, I would, you know, I would really be curious to see what he thought of like the fact that, you know, a couple hundred years later, his music is is like timeless. I mean, on a level that you can't even I mean, how can you even compare it, you know? Right. Um, I would be so curious to see, like, I, I can even imagine for myself what that would be like. I mean, imagine how many people have played his music. So that's what I would ask. Uh, that's yeah. Um, Miles, I would ask in another way. I, would, I mean, I'm speaking of nowadays. I would say I would ask Miles, what do you think of the music of, of now? And not just the jazz music, just like all the music of now, because he that was the thing about Miles. He was always ahead of the curve, um, yeah. always doing the hippest thing, uh, always innovating, you know, look at his career, it's clear. I mean, it, it, from from like every couple of years, there's a completely different sound and uh, that's inspiring to me actually. Um, mm. But I would love to see what he thought of now, what, was, what he thinks of what's happening now. Great. So we've reached one of our favorite moments of each episode and we're going to leave you today with some recommended listening. Um, we mentioned earlier in the day, uh, Bobby Watson, who is a jazz hero here in Kansas City. And so a recording I would love to share with all of you actually comes from a Kansas City Symphony celebration at the station concert. Um, and he played an absolutely incredible, amazing grace with the orchestra. Uh, so I'm leaving you with uh, the entire best of celebration at the station um, uh, performance, but it's queued up to Bobby's Bobby's section. So definitely check that out. He's amazing. That was definitely an epic performance. I'm going to, without a doubt, recommend Herman's new album, which I, like I said, I've been listening to nonstop this past week. Wow. Uh, it's called A Change for the Dreamlike. You can find it at bandcamp.com. So make sure you go check it out and purchase that album. Share it with all your friends as well. You can send it as a gift even. So send it to everyone you know, and you will make everyone's life very happy. It's an amazing album. Um, and also a second album, if I may, uh, Charlie Parker with Strings. You know, we talked a little bit about the differences between jazz and, and the orchestral world, but this was a beautiful marriage of the two worlds when Charlie Parker decided to step out of his comfort zone and work with string players and recorded two albums in 1949-1950. We played a few of uh, the charts from that on that Pops concert that I mentioned a few years ago with Bobby Watson, and we've programmed a few of them since, actually. Uh, we did a, a concert at University Academy last year, and we did a few charts with some of Herman's good friends, Peter Schlamm and Ryan Lee, uh, some really great uh, musicians mm -hmm. there as well. So definitely check out those two albums for sure. Herman, do you have any recommendations besides your own album, of course? <laughs> oh, I would never recommend my own album. Um, <laughs> uh, well, secretly, yeah, sure, check it out. Um, I would say Art Tatum, Piano Starts Here. Um, nice. He's one to me. Art Tatum's one of the most incredible piano players of all time, and he'll hear some of the the, the best classical pianists say the same thing. And to them, uh, you know, it's just a freak of nature. <laughs> um, mm. And kind of piggybacking on uh, the, the Charlie Parker with strings, there's a there's a great uh, Clifford Brown did a strings album. Mm. So oh. if you want to hear trumpet with strings, um, check out Clifford Brown's album. And one note about Charlie Parker who is our, our Kansas Cityan, is that he checked out all kinds of music. Um, mm -hmm. And he loved Stravinsky. He loved, you know, Ravel and, and a lot of the, the, the stuff he was influ influenced by is, is, comes, from a, from, comes from the classical world. So it's, you know, it's not like these things were just separate, you know. It's like, and, and Charlie Parker being the most, arguably the most innovative and, and, and important voice in jazz. You know? So imagine that, right? Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to recommend something that actually I loved playing as a kid and really inspired me in a way because it was a piece of music that allowed me to feel a little like a jazz player, even though <laughs> I wasn't and am not. But uh, I'm going to recommend this piece I really love called, uh, it's uh, by a man named Claude Bowling, a Frenchman uh, who wrote 
actually more than one suite. I'm specifically recommending the first suite because that's the one I used to like to play. But it's the Claude Bowling Suite Number no. One uh, for flute and jazz trio, uh, and he wrote it for Jean Pierre Rampal, who was one of the most famous flutists in the classical world uh, forever. And I had the the great fortune to be able to hear him a couple of times uh, toward the end of his career. But what I love about this piece is, is it, it, it's not jazz, by the way. It's definitely not jazz, but it it um, it fuses, you know, the classical Baroque idiom, Irish music, a whole bunch of different things uh, together in this, you know, sort of pseudo jazz trio form. It's a really, really fun piece in and of itself, and it was always fun for me to play. So check that out. We'll put a we'll put a link to Jean Pierre Rampal's uh, own recording on YouTube, and I think you really enjoy it. Um, I want to thank Herman Mahari so unbelievably much. It's it's amazing to meet you. It's amazing uh, to hear you speak about music. I listened to Blue just the other day, and I can't wait to go listen to your new album. Uh, I love it. I love that you're bringing the traditions of Kansas City uh, to the world, and um, it's just incredible to have a conversation with you. I hope we have the opportunity at some point all to come to Paris, sit down, <laughs> have some espresso, and Absolutely. have some natural wine, and just... <laughs> make music together, talk about music, uh, and enjoy that moment. Yeah. Thank you, Herman. Thanks, yes. Herman. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure. <laughs> well, in next week's episode, uh, we sit down with one of our favorite American composers and my fellow Rice classmate, Rice University, that is, Caroline Shaw. Caroline is, without a doubt, one of the most versatile and creative musicians in the classical world right now. We'll learn all about how she became the youngest composer to ever win the Pulitzer Prize in music at the age of 30, as well as hear about her process when exploring new sound worlds in her unique works for voice and orchestra. We even hear about her love of the Beethoven harp quartet and otters. Next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. (laughs) 